listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage podcast, the podcast designed to help you save your marriage regardless of where things are. You might be at the beginning of an issue, maybe even before the issue. You're just trying to make sure you avoid the issue, or maybe you're so deeply into the crisis, you don't know which way to turn. Well, this podcast is designed to give you techniques and strategies and mindset changes, everything you need to begin the process to be, rebuild your relationship. Now, part of what we've been doing recently is answering listeners' questions. The reason is because your questions are likely to be other people's questions. So if you'd like to participate in this, you'd like to submit a question for consideration for being included in a future podcast, you can send it to me at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. Now, your question itself, it needs to be broad enough that it's going to speak to a number of people, not just you, but not so broad that it requires a book or maybe, say, a system like Save the Marriage System to help you get that answered. In other words, it's kind of the Goldilocks. It's got to be important enough that it needs to be covered. It's got to be specific enough that I haven't already talked about it in, in bigger terms in the system or in some of my books, but not so specific that you actually need to have some help from a coach. You can give me background information just to kind of make sure I understand what you're talking about, but make sure that the question itself has some relevance to other people. So today, I'm going to talk about A's question. So we'll use A. And A says, I've been listening to your podcast and reading your blog, and I think your work is amazing. I listened to your podcast on boundaries and how the last step is following up with consequences when a boundary is violated. And by the way, if you need more help with boundaries, um, look in the show notes down in the resources area, and I'll have a link to other uh, podcasts on boundaries for you. Okay, back to the email. It says, however, I don't know what an appropriate consequence looks like when the act of disrespect is small and subtle but damaging anyway. I'm talking about a spouse rolling their eyes at you, making sarcastic remarks, saying condescending things, small remarks such as I told you so in a you're so stupid tone of voice, implying your question is stupid or constant criticism, etc. Unlike being yelled at or cursed at, you can't just leave the conversation because often the remark wasn't part of a conversation, just a one-off and refusing to engage further does not feel like an actual consequence. It might even be what the offending partner wants. The only natural consequence in a situation like that seems the spouse who's being disrespected wants to disengage and act aloof, which of course doesn't help the relationship. So what consequences could exist in such a situation? I really can't find any information and examples about that. So, A, thank you for your question. It's a great question, but it might point to something I need to go into a little more deeply about uh, when we're talking about boundaries. So let's just step back for a moment and let me remind everybody, obviously, you can listen to the prior podcasts on boundaries, but I just want to kind of get us up to speed so we're all at the same place. So a boundary is what you will not let someone do to you. Right, it's it's a stop point. It's you can't do that. You're holding up your hand, going stop. No more of that. No closer. Right. And here's the thing: it's got to be something that's being done to you. 
years ago, I was presenting on boundaries at uh, a church, and after the second, or right before the second session, the first session I'd spent explaining boundaries, giving a little help on how to start doing some boundary building, we were coming back to kind of talk about what that experience was like. And so there I was at the front of the room, kind of getting my thoughts together and getting the PowerPoint going and kind of getting ready to kick it off. And I looked up just in time to see this woman marching right to me. Now, you can always tell as a speaker when you're about to catch it from somebody, they have that look. They have that determined, I'm going to tell you, that can't be missed. More than that, I hadn't said anything, so I knew it had to do with the week before. And so she barreled right up to me, got a little too close, and said to me, the boundaries don't work. And I said, well, what do you mean the boundaries don't work? And she said, your boundary thing, they don't work. And I said, well, what do you mean they don't work? And she said, I did it to my husband, and it didn't work. So I stopped and paused, and I said, you know, that's a great point, but that's not what I meant. And so I started off the conversation following up in that presentation with her question because she had made a classic mistake around boundaries. Boundaries is not something you do to somebody. It's something you do for yourself to protect yourself. It's for you to be protected from somebody else's actions. So sometimes, you know, the, there's a hard boundary. So I'm, I'm going to talk about this in terms of, let's just kind of step back a, a long way. So as you know, I'm doing jujitsu. And jujitsu, oh, you may not know that, but let me just say for everybody who's listening, I'm doing jujitsu. I've been doing jujitsu training for a year and a half, which basically means in jujitsu world, I'm a basic rank beginner. I've got a blue belt, so I'm, I'm beyond white belt, but that's it. So part of the philosophy is, of jujitsu is it's there for self-defense. At least my school believes that that's the primary use of self-defense. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to go out and do jujitsu to people. I'm not going to walk up on the street and, you know, arm lock them or take them to the ground and prove that I can, you know, render them unconscious in, in just a, a short amount of time. I mean, that's, it's possible, uh, you know, given the right circumstances that that would happen, but that's not what I'm doing to people. I am prepared for the hopefully unlikely incident that somebody is going to attack me. Now, I can tell you that my primary reason for doing jiu-jitsu is for exercise. I wanted to do something that kind of engaged my mind. And jiu-jitsu is much like chess when you're practicing with other people who are doing jiu-jitsu. And so I enjoy that, that kind of level of it. But it's also physical fitness. So my primary thing is I'm not walking around worried about it. Just like my knowledge of boundaries means that I'm not walking around worried about having to do boundaries. But I have boundaries. I have the, that knowledge. Just like I have jujitsu, I have that knowledge. So if somebody were to attack me, my task is to protect myself, to fend off the attack. And so in that instance, my boundary would be protecting myself. I'm doing it for my protection. I'm not trying to do it to that person. That person has entered into that arena and created circumstances where I'm responding. So understand that the first thing we need to know about boundaries is we're not doing it to somebody. We're not setting out to go prove a point to somebody to, you know, kind of bring them down to their place in life, to embarrass them, to shame them, to force them into being whatever they want to be. We're trying to protect ourselves. 
So that's a very important distinction for this very reason. If boundaries are something you do for yourself, it has to be in response to be something being done to you. So I'm walking down the street. Someone takes a swing at me. I defend against the swing, and I do what I have to to defend myself. That's, that's a hard boundary. A little more subtly, somebody throws something at me. In that moment, they missed, right? They, they, it threw, they threw it, it missed. Now I'm not going to pick it up and throw it back at them. But I may say, hey, that's not okay. That is not acceptable behavior. If somebody shows violence towards me, my natural reaction is to say, I'm not going to be around you. If you're going to be violent, I'm removing myself from the situation. So in every class in jujitsu, we start off with, if you can, avoid the fight. But if you can't, here's what you need to know. It's the same with this whole process we're talking about. If you can, avoid the situation where you ever have to set a boundary. If you can. But if in normal life, somebody is still violating your boundaries, then you set the boundary. So there's some very clear boundaries in my mind. If someone is physically violent towards us, that's, that's a time to remove ourselves completely. If you notice with my Save the Marriage system and pretty much everything else, my thing is if you are at risk, if you feel that you are physically at risk, if you're scared for your safety, you need to not be there. Scared for your physical safety, not that somebody might hurt your feelings or you might feel insulted or something like that, but you truly are afraid that they might hurt you. Now, they may show you that by pushing you, shoving you, hitting you, throwing something at you, but it can also be something like they're always slamming doors in your face or slamming their hand down on the table or throwing something to the ground, all of which are fairly violent actions. And so that requires you to say, hey, you know what? I don't feel safe. And until that changes, until you have control over that kind of response, I'm not going to be around. And sometimes it means I'm not going to be around. I refuse to be a part of that. Then there are the other pieces. For instance, somebody yelling at me, that is kind of verbal violence. That's not acceptable. I'm not going to remove myself from their life because, you know, sometimes we lose our temper and our voice goes up. And that doesn't mean that we are going to hurt somebody. It just means that we have not controlled our tone and our voice. So if someone yells at me, I can remind them that they have raised their voice at me. I don't, I try not to use the term yell because then we get into a debate about what that means. But raising your voice is pretty pretty objective. Yelling, subjective. Raising your voice, objective. So that's an easy one. You're raising your voice at me. That's not okay. Now, in the boundary, uh, in fact, there's a whole chapter on boundaries in the Save the Marriage system in the primary module. In there, I go through a three-step process. And I've talked about that on both the Thriveology podcast and the Save the Marriage podcast. So you can go back and follow that up. And that's how you kind of track it. Now, the three steps, there's a fourth step, and the fourth step is the consequences. So that's easy. For me, it's easy when somebody yells or when somebody calls names. You know, that's that's very clear violations. Now we come to what A is talking about. Somebody who is kind of sarcastic, somebody who is Um, rolling their eyes, they're not really doing anything to you. Yes, it's disrespectful. But see, I think that falls in a different area. 
Because when they're acting that way, what they're really portraying is their own emotional life. And one of the things that this is not about doing is removing all emotionality from life. If somebody's upset, they get to be upset. And if part of their upset is that they maybe roll their eyes or shrug their shoulders or turn the other way, you know, I had one person who said, hey, what is the consequence when somebody refuses to talk to me? And my response was, they don't talk to you. I mean, that's, that's the thing. We get to choose that. Is that good for, for relationship building? No. Is it good for communication? No. And yet, that's the right we all have. We don't, you can't force somebody to talk to you, right? And how they talk to you, that's much more of an unclear area for me. And, and in many ways, and what I read in this uh, whole email we're really talking about what I consider to be an internal boundary. So an external boundary is the one I set with a person. An internal boundary is how I won't let somebody affect me. So just for a minute, let's talk a little bit about disrespect. I've always believed that it's not possible for somebody to disrespect you unless you allow it. What if we recognize that when somebody is acting disrespectfully, it's coming from them, that there's something in their own perspective and their own place of pain and hurt that's causing that, and we don't have to take it personally. We don't have to take it in. We don't have to kind of allow it to poison us. We can say, okay, you know, they're not in a good place. So this is kind of mirrored in some of the teachers of jiu-jitsu that I really respect who say, you know, you don't have to get into a fight because somebody is disrespectful. Just let it be their issue. If on the street somebody decides to act disrespectfully or to sound disrespectful towards me, do I have to get caught up in that? Or can I say, wow, that person is rude. That's their issue, not mine. Them being rude means nothing about me unless I allow it to be about me. And that usually comes because we're playing the tapes in our head. We're letting them validate the bad feelings we might often have about ourselves. That's our shadow self that lurks back there just waiting for somebody to kind of point it out. So the disrespectful behavior, it's not quite the same. So implying your question is stupid, the implication can be there, but do we have to take that in? No. They can not like your question, but we don't have to accept. In in other words, we don't have to internalize if they think something is stupid. That's up to them. The constant criticism is a little bit different. If somebody is criticizing you in a way you don't find appropriate, it is okay to say, you know what? You're speaking to me in a very critical tone. I'm happy to talk about how we can make things better, but I don't think the tone is helpful. Now, again, that's not the same as setting a boundary. It's clarifying communication, calling them on it. If they continue, at some point you can say, you know what, I'm not going to continue to have a conversation with you where you're critical. See, that's the thing. At that point, you are kind of setting a boundary. If they just hit and walk away, let them walk away. Don't get wrapped up in it. This is one of those places where people often take the bait unnecessarily. The other person's upset about something, let it be their issue. It's much better their issue than to suddenly become a relationship issue that you never meant it to be. Let it be the other person's issue. Don't bring it into the relationship. So what do you do, though, 
if it's not a boundary thing, if it's not clearly a boundary thing, and yet it's disrespectful or it feels disrespectful or you allow it to be disrespectful, what can you do? Well, this is where you might think about agreements that we make with people. You can say to somebody, I will not allow you to be disrespectful, but you can't stop it, right? I mean, you, you really can't stop somebody from doing that. It's kind of like, I will not allow, allow you to be dishonest. Well, how do you stop that? I mean, if they're dishonest, there may be a consequence, but what do you do? And so this is where we get into the place of expectations and agreements in marriage. Expectations don't get us very far. So let's say I expect my spouse to be respectful. And then my spouse gets upset about something and they're disrespectful and I react to that because they broke my expectation. Let's say that for 33 days in a row, they're completely respectful and everything's fine. Because I have an expectation, that means nothing. That's just zero. But then in that moment of frustration and anger, they show some disrespect. For that one time, they they break my expectation and, and I get upset. But I can't do anything about it. I'm just being upset. As opposed to an agreement, which is where two people can say, can we agree that even if we're upset with each other, we're going to do our best to be respectful? And if somebody's not to be able to say, hey, I think we agreed to be respectful for each other, to be respectful to each other. So that's where we cross into another area of setting agreements. I did a podcast on that, and you can find the link also below. But that's the piece where I think it's more important to be working on seeing if you can create an agreement together on how you're going to treat each other. So first of all, let's clarify that many times the stuff that you're asking about, they're really not boundary violations, even though it can feel like it's, it's breaking something for you because it feels like it's hurting feelings. And that's where you have to decide that maybe not an outward boundary, but an internal boundary, not an external, but internal boundary. The second thing is you think about how can you set some expectations with each other? I'm sorry, some agreements rather than expectations with how you're going to treat each other. The agreements are something you both agree to so that if somebody's not doing it, you discuss why that's not happening. And the third thing is to remember to refuse to be affected. If somebody rolls their eyes and you react to it, you're giving energy to it. You're giving power to that. You're not removing power. You're empowering that kind of action. That's where we want to disempower. So imagine that someone rolls their eyes and they get zero response from you. No response at all towards the eye roll. You might respond to what they say and talk about what's being said, but you don't raise the temperature in the room with your reaction. What happens with them? What happens to their thinking that they are pushing buttons that no longer are pushable? See, I believe that one of the things we're doing as we're growing and stepping into moral responsibility is removing those buttons we allow people to push. Because when we allow people to push the button, we often claim that that's, that it's their fault, right? It's not us. They did that. And we step out of our own responsibility into a reacting phase. So what if, instead of that, we decide that we're going to disregard it? 
Just not regard it at all. Disregard that action. Take it away. Take the power out. And one of the things I've realized is that sometimes we can sidestep the energy coming at us in angry ways and dissipate it rather than engaging it. Because when you engage their subtle actions, they get to say, I wasn't upset, you're reacting to it. Suddenly you're the bad guy. And you can say, but you rolled my, your eyes, prove it, right? You sarcastic tone, prove it. Or you can decide that you're going to go for better interactions, to find ways that each of you are interacting on a better platform, to work on building those agreements in, and then you use the boundaries for where they are helpful. Boundaries aren't something you do to somebody. They're something you do for yourself. And you can also use those internal boundaries to protect yourself further. If this has been helpful and you still need more help on boundaries, please check out the other podcasts. I've got links in the show notes. Check out about agreements and also check out my Save the Marriage system. It's designed to help you get to a better place so that these uh, sarcastic places, these hurtful places aren't there because we've removed the hurt in the process. You can find that by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.